I have people come up to me now and they're like, we're going to be the largest law firm in America. And I said, okay, <laughs> that's great. Is it for me or for you? And I think sometimes there's just a lot of ego wrapped up in it and it makes sense to you because if you're not sold on your own goals, if you're just throwing out a big number, then you're not going to be able to sell anybody else. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. This is Jessica, head of coaching strategy at Chris, and today we're flipping the script for another special edition episode to get Michael's take on how to inspire a team to achieve growing targets and goals, the importance of clarity in all aspects of your firm, and how to remain objective when delivering tough feedback someone tells you, oh, this team's not performing well, well, let's review the data and see what are the trends looking like? Have things just gotten worse this week or this month or this quarter? What was it like this time last year? Does no one give a shit? Because I think as leaders, we just immediately default to, they just don't care. But the reality of it is, is that that's rarely the case. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. All right, welcome back to AMMA. Here we are, I'm excited. Another Ask Michael Mogul Anything. I know you guys submit the questions, we give the answers, or rather we give opinions. I don't know if they're the answers. Take it as you take it. Maybe it's helpful to you, maybe it's not. But these have become some of our most popular episodes, so they're somewhat valuable. And if you have a question, you could submit it. You can send a text to us at 404-531-7691, and we may answer it on the podcast. Let's see what else. We've got different types of episodes on the podcast, those listening in. So we've got our traditional interview format where we bring on experts from the legal industry and beyond. And then we've got our encore editions, some of our most popular episodes that we bring back. And then these are the AMMAs. So without further ado, Jessica, what do we got this week? All right. You know, I always try to batch these into a theme. So this week we are going to talk about the importance of clarity. Mm. So, okay. All right. Question number one. Hey, Michael, sometimes I find that when I'm presenting our goals or targets, I can come off as too blunt or demanding. I understand why I'm asking for more, but my team says I am unreasonable. How do you get people to buy in and understand we're doing this for a greater impact? Okay, so in this case, it seems like somebody is presenting goals to their team. The team says that's unreasonable or unrealistic or I don't know if we can achieve these goals. And I look at it both ways. So let's play devil's advocate. Let's play the advocate from the team side. I've seen firm owners and leaders that get excited. They go off into the wilderness. They come back. They're excited. They've got this grand vision. They've got this big target in mind. They say, hey, guys, next year, we're going to 10x this whole organization. We're going to make a billion dollars or whatever number is just like significant multiple over what the organization has done previously. And this sounds great to you, but... To everybody else, they're terrified. Again, it depends on how it's presented, but a lot of times a team member will hear, okay, if we're going to grow by 10 times, then I'm going to have to work 10 times as hard and I'm going to have to work 10 times as long of hours. And I'm not that excited about this. 
Or then they start to think, well, how can we even do that? Because maybe you've got somebody who's maxed out in capacity, they're already spread thin, and you're asking more of them and not just a little more, but a whole lot more. Then there's the other side of it of if you're trying to make a big push and you've never pushed your team in that way before, then they're not used to it. And if you don't have the proof or the evidence and the results that you've done this before, then it's no wonder you wouldn't get their buy-in because they just don't believe you. It's not Price is Right where you could just start throwing out numbers and say, okay, well, last year we did a million, this year we're going to do 10 million, or this year we're going to do 50 million, or this year we're going to do 200 million. And it's like, well, we've never done that before. We've never made a big leap like that before. That sounds unrealistic or unreasonable. And then the firm owner looks at their team and says, oh, why don't they care as much? And why aren't they as engaged? Or why don't they believe in this? And am I the only one who's excited about this? And they just become bitter and resentful. So as you can see, it's like messed up all around. I would say first and foremost, if you're excited about something, that's a wonderful thing. It's great to have a big vision, but you have to consider the fact that if you're going to get anywhere, it's going to take a great team to do that. And a team that's aligned and a team that's rowing in the same direction and a team that is very much pushing together to achieve a goal. So there's a few factors that have to be in place here. Number one, it is why, like, why are we setting this big number and this big target? Does it enable us to do something we couldn't do previously before, right? If you just say growth, it's like, well, what's in it for me? right? Team members are going to ask themselves that. So if you can't tie back these growth goals you have to the vision or how that benefits the team or any individual team members, how that allows them to, maybe they want to pay off student loans. Maybe they want to get a promotion. Maybe they want to grow in their career. Maybe they want to evolve in a certain career path. They want an opportunity to grow into a leader. And by achieving these growth goals, that enables the firm to provide them with that opportunity. Maybe they want better benefits. It could be a number of different reasons. And this is going to vary based on what a person's goals are, what their needs are, et cetera. But it's important to be able to connect the dots of how achieving this goal or this target aligns to benefiting the team member and why they should actually care about this. The other thing is, do you have a plan behind it? Because if you just put a number out, wonderful. But if someone can't understand, well, how are we going to get there and what's going to change? If they're having to connect the dots themselves, they're going to connect the wrong dots. Because then they're going to go and say, okay, if we're going to grow by 10x, then I'm going to work 10 times as hard and 10 times as long, which is not the conclusion you want anyone to come to. Because as soon as they come to that conclusion, then they start sending out the resume because like, no thanks. So instead you have to be able to really break it down for them and saying like, here are the things that are going to change. Here's how we're going to make this happen. As a leader, you're not just there to say, hey guys, work harder. You're not trying to crack a whip. It is providing the strategy, the approach for how you're going to achieve certain targets. Like here's how we're going to do it. Maybe we're going to increase our capacity. We're going to hire a bunch of people. We're going to bring on leaders with these types of capabilities that we don't already have. This is going to be our approach going into the first quarter. Then we're going to ramp up more going into the second quarter. It's not like we're going to take this massive target divided by four and it's just going to be the same. There has to be some sort of ramp period, perhaps. The other thing is, it's the why are we even doing this in the first place? I mean, just using for as an example, let's say you have a firm that's at 10 million in revenue and you say, hey guys, we're going to do 100 million, right? Which is insane to go from 10 to 100, right? Just don't do that. You're not going to do it. And if you do it, your life's going to be hell if you try to do that in one year. It's really thinking about why that number specifically. Like if the firm was at 10 million, you said 100 for a year, right? We're not talking like a 10 year vision, but let's say a one year. Well, why 100 instead of 20 million or why 100 instead of 30 million or 15 million? Why that specific number? Just because it sounds good to you? Or is there an actual strategy behind what that specific growth target enables the firm to achieve? Maybe it allows you to hire additional attorneys. Maybe it allows you to expand your offices and locations, et cetera. So being very intentional about that goal, because a lot of times when I see leaders setting targets, it comes from a place of ego, right? Of like, well, let's just pick a bigger number that I can then parade in front of my friends of saying that we're going to be a $100 million law firm, or we're going to be an eight-figure firm, or whatever the target is. And it's important that it actually makes sense for what you're trying to achieve. And honestly, revenue is 
it probably should not be the main focus in terms of setting a goal. You should really look at and say, well, what are we trying to do as a firm? Are we trying to serve more people? Are we trying to create a stronger culture? Am I trying to set my life up, say, as a leader in a way where I can spend my time and focusing on things that I enjoy and spending time with my family? Okay, let's say getting clear on what you want and then determining, okay, well, what does that look like from a financial standpoint in order to support my team, support our clients, support our community, and continue to grow the firm? And then figure it out that way. And then you can come to a much more intentional number. You may find that, let's say you're at 10 million and maybe you can achieve all this stuff by getting to 12 million. Or let's say you're at 1 million and getting to 3 million would be just absolutely transformational. You don't have to go from 1 to 10 immediately. So it's making sure that there is a clear intentionality behind it. And then the final thing I would say on this is that whenever you're setting these different types of goals and targets, if you've never done it before, if you come in just all gangbusters, like big dog now, right? You were mediocre before and now you decide you're going to be elite overnight because you heard some motivating pep talk somewhere. And now you think, okay, we're going to be excellent, but you've never been excellent before. Well, you're going to need to manufacture some momentum. So you're going to need to take some baby steps to be able to generate the proof and the evidence that then gets people to buy in to show that, hey, we've done this before. So you may have to like set an incremental target to then build the confidence in your team that you can achieve great things and then continue to level up and push and push and push. I remember even when we did our first conference, it's a good example of this. First conference in 2018, the first Game Changer Summit, we targeted around 300 people. We got 500 people to that first conference. But then people see the one we did last year, which was 5,000 people at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. If I came out of the gate, let's say in 2018 and said, hey guys, we're going to host a conference at a football stadium, right? Whether it was the Super Bowl, it was pretty unbelievable then we were trying to get 300. So you have to build up to these things and you have to build up confidence in not just yourself, but really in your team that you can level up and do bigger and bigger things, but you don't have to get there overnight. Life is long. You don't have to complete the mission and end the journey in 365 days. You should really enjoy playing the game and making iterative steps year over year over year, especially if you want to have any sort of longevity. So you don't have to make that massive leap immediately, but you do have to build some confidence in your team that they can achieve great things. And then you can push a little bit more the next time and a little bit more the next time and a little bit more the next time because you don't want to push somebody so far that they just feel something is absolutely impossible. Not only they're not motivated, they're not engaged, they just don't believe you, they're not bought in, you know, then you're certainly not going to achieve the goal. So some people say SMART goals. I'm not a fan of the SMART acronym. I would instead say just being very intentional about the why behind it, being clear on what's in it for them, for your team, being able to connect that with the vision and purpose of the firm, and then laying out a plan and having an actual game plan for how to do it. Because then along with the theme, clarity, if people don't have clarity, they're going to come to their own conclusions, which are usually the wrong conclusions. If you do provide them with clarity, they say, okay, we've got a game plan for this. All right, now I think we can start moving in this direction. Yeah, one note though about the SMART goal. So whether, you know, maybe not the whole thing we don't love, but you do need specific. I think that's one place people miss on a lot of goals is we want to grow. Grow by what? It has to actually be something that you can say, check, I did that. Yeah, and when people just throw out numbers, I think I even did this in my immature days years ago. I mean, I'm still probably immature, but maybe more so evolved than I was 10 years ago. That people come up to me now and they're like, we're going to be the largest law firm in America. And I said, okay, <laughs> that's great. Is it for me or for you? And I think sometimes there's just a lot of ego wrapped up in it. And it's just very important that your goals are your goals and it's what's meaningful to you. And it makes sense to you because if you're not sold on your own goals, if you're just throwing out a big number, then you're not going to be able to sell anybody else. No, absolutely not. All right, moving on to the next one. So, summit attendee here, you talked a lot about the definition of a true CEO at the summit and how a true CEO should be focused on the future, the vision, et cetera. What if I don't know that path? 
I have ideas, but how do I get clarity on what's right? Well, I think you just answer the question in the question because you don't know the path because you're not focused on it and thinking about it. What's the expression? What's like wherever time goes, energy flows, that sort of thing. That's the entire business case for operating like a true CEO of somebody that's working on the business, not in the business, being able to go overhead, get a bird's eye view and really be able to think and plan and strategize for the future. Because if you already knew those things, then probably wouldn't need to shift into that role. I mean, that becomes the value of the role. I think the best CEOs, true CEOs are paid for their judgment, not their time. And it's really being able to not just so much sit under a tree and think, but having the necessary think time to strategize, to evaluate, to keep a pulse on where things are headed in your industry profession. And then as a result of that, being able to operate like a true visionary of saying, okay, well, based on all this information that I've been able to gather and being able to really keep a pulse on where things are growing and evolving. I mean, you see AI, for example, and the role that's playing in, in the legal industry. You see non-lawyer firm ownership with Rule 5.4. You see like multi-state jurisdiction with Rule 5.5. Just the evolving trends of what that's going to result in the changes and being able to prepare your firm today to be competitive in the future and being able to really focus on not just solving today's problems, but being able to really think about what are going to be tomorrow's challenges and are we preparing our firm to be competitive in the face of tomorrow. Most firms are not. Most firms are going to roll into this and be like, oops, we are not nearly as efficient and effective as a firm that's leveraging technology and utilizing AI. We're not attracting the best and brightest because we believe we should have lawyers in all of our operational roles, which is an interesting thought process. We've not focused on operating our practice like a business. We thought that maybe if we just did good work, that the business will come. And we've not been really big on advertising or marketing because only the abomination lawyers, those are the ones that are doing that stuff, right? So then what happens is, is because of lack of focus on the future of where things are going, people continue to believe that they just keep doing the same things that got them where they are today, that it's going to be what helps them grow into the leader they need to get into to be competitive in the future, which is untrue. So it is necessary to give yourself the space, the freedom, the time to be able to think and to be able to strategize because get a lot of people who are relying upon you. They're relying on your decision-making. What are we doing here, right? We're made up of atoms and then we're made up of decisions. And where we are today as human beings is a byproduct of the decisions we've made up to this point and where we end up in the future, where our firms end up, is going to be based on the decisions we make from this point going forward. And if you make the wrong decisions, everyone around you is fucked. See, we just got an explicit rating on this podcast, this episode, all because of that one word. But if you make the right decisions then you are moving everybody in the direction that enables the firm not to be competitive, but creates opportunities that benefits your clients, that benefits your team, that benefits your community. Everybody wins. So you have to be very, very intentional and really start taking this stuff seriously of how do I know if I'm making the right decisions? And you don't know if you're making the right decisions if you can't properly evaluate information. And if you can't think beyond a month or a quarter or a year, then you're going to make decisions that are maybe good in the short term, but then hurt you in the long term. Because you're just worried about today, let me solve today's problems. Not to say that you shouldn't, but if you're not focusing on what's going to happen three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, and are we moving in a direction that's going to set us up for success, you are going to be caught in a situation where something will change. There's going to be some law that is passed that will surprise you and will debilitate you and your practice because you did not evolve. Again, I'm not trying to be like harsh here, but change is constant. And if you are not preparing for the future of even creating situations of analyzing vulnerabilities of the firm, saying, well, what could potentially impact us? 
Maybe our infrastructure isn't where it needs to be. We're not leveraging technology the way we need to. Maybe we don't have the right data and reporting that enables us to be able to get the information we need to make better decisions. All those things eventually are going to compound over time until one day something is going to happen and you're going to see tort reform, some law is going to get passed, something's going to happen that debilitates your practice. And because you did not diversify or because you did not think into the future, you're going to be caught in a position where unfortunately things are going to get way harder. And guess what? If you employ anybody, well, you're also in many ways responsible for them because they rely on your decision-making. So this is really the case for firm owners to move into operating like true CEOs. And the only way you can do that is if you attract the right people, is if you level up and develop as a leader. I mean, this is not an overnight process by any means, but if you're not making the strides necessary to get there, eventually time's up. So if you don't know, I guess this comes back to the original question. If it's like, I don't know what that future vision is. That's okay. It creates the case for the only way that you're going to figure it out is if you dedicate time to figuring it out. And if you dedicate time to keeping a pulse on where things are, where things are going, and then having the necessary conversations with experts in both the legal industry and other industries, building a community where you can learn from like-minded off-firm entrepreneurs and other successful people that can share their insights and you can learn from them as well. And then once you incorporate all this information, you can make better decisions. And then that's how you become this futurist. And I shouldn't go here, but I always find it funny when people like hire a futurist into their organization. And maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but it just seems odd that you can hire like a future prognosticator. Hey man, tell me where things are going. Tell me what the future looks like. I don't know. Maybe it's a good idea. At least whoever's doing that is thinking about the future. And the best part is you don't even have to be right. You could be wrong and you could be wrong a lot and you can be eventually right. And those people get ahead much faster than the ones that are putting off making decisions and hoping that they're going to bat 100 every time. How many people are going to Google, how do I hire a futurist now? Just go on ChatGPT. Ask ChatGPT what's coming. All right. To close us out today, question three. Michael, how do you handle situations where there's a need for clear, straightforward feedback, but also a risk of demotivating your team? How do you give clear feedback while keeping them inspired? I think this is a great question for you for clear and straightforward feedback. Well, yeah. First and foremost, I think whenever you're going into any type of conversation that you have to have with somebody or a team, I always think about before I go into that meeting, what is the goal here? Because in the past, when I was a young leader, I'd be frustrated about something and then I would take out that frustration on a group of people that maybe were somehow related to that frustration and I would get all my frustration out, but then you'd leave them demoralized and then there was no change in behavior. So not very productive if your goal was to actually improve the situation. So when you're thinking, okay, if I'm trying to go into this situation and I want to improve the outcomes and I want this team, let's say you're not seeing the performance that you want to see or you're not seeing the types of results that you want to see and the goal is to institute some sort of behavioral change that is thinking about, well, how do I deliver a message in a way that's going to resonate with the people that I'm speaking with and will ultimately inspire them and actually have an action plan behind moving this in the right direction. So I think that's first and foremost, being very clear on what the goal is, because then 99.9% of the time, if you do it that way, you're not raising your voice, you're not yelling or screaming. I think that's a sign of weakness. If you lose your cool, that's weak. I think Jocko Willick said that, it always resonated with me, of saying that if you're raising your voice or if you're yelling at people, it is a sign of weakness. Now, I may go on a rant here, so it's a little bit different, but it's being able to manage yourself and control your emotions. I think the other thing is if, you know, really being clear on getting to the root issue, 
first and foremost. So if you're assuming a lot of things, you may not be addressing it properly. So I always reference data of saying, well, what is actually true here? Is it just because is this person just annoying me? Do I think we have a problem here? Is it just because somebody told me that they believe there is a problem here? But like, what is actually true here? You got to separate the fake news from the reality. And in order to do that, I think you get into really, really objective measures of metrics and data. Someone tells you, oh, this team's not performing well, or you feel they're not performing well. Well, let's review the data and see what are the trends looking like? Have things just gotten worse this week or this month or this quarter? What was it like this time last year? Were there any other changes that could have taken place? Does no one give a shit? Because I think as leaders, we just immediately default to, they just don't care. But the reality of it is, is that that's rarely the case. So I think being clear on the data, knowing what is the root issue I'm trying to address. And then does that apply to the team as a whole or is it a certain individual? Because we've all been guilty of driving to work and you're frustrated by one or two people and you think the whole team's messing up. But let's say you got a team of 100 people. Well, 98 seem to be doing just fine. Two are occupying your headspace. And if it is just one or two people, that's probably a conversation that's better handled individually with them than addressing a whole team. But if you're seeing that, let's say it applies to a team as a whole, let's say missing quality control standards and things like that, it's also asking, okay, what is my role in this? Maybe we don't have a great process around quality control. Maybe we don't have a great process. I mean, let's say we're talking about the intake at a firm has really started to dip. Either phones aren't being answered promptly or the number of case signups is way down, but the number of leads has remained consistent, the number of calls has remained consistent. So what is happening, right? And maybe you determine that people aren't following the script. Okay, so why aren't they following the script? Is there a process of ensuring that somebody has to stick to the script and consistent standards? Is there an auditing process in place? If there's not, I would start there because if you can institute the right system around how work is getting done, you're not going to have those issues versus if you're just constantly having to remind people to say, oh, you should follow the script. I mean, they may do it in the short term and then they're going to default to homeostasis and whatever default behaviors that you don't want. So it's basically creating the right standards to make these things non-negotiables and allow them to be continuously reinforced and making sure that things don't fall off. Then let's see what else. I think it's a very important also not personalize feedback. So meaning that if you're addressing a group of people, let's say a team as a whole, you really want to be able to separate the issue from the human being. So meaning that there can be inconsistencies around attention to detail or quality control, or whatever issue that you may be experiencing at your firm, but you can separate that and say, hey, here's an area where we need improvement. And you back it up with the data of saying, well, last year this time, here's what the numbers look like. Or last quarter, here's what it looked like. This is what it looks like now. Obviously, this is not trending in the right direction. But then here's how we're going to go about it, right? Let's say you're delivering the feedback and you've actually already determined a plan. Or let's say you don't even have a plan. You can open it up to feedback of saying, well, here's how we're trending. I'd love feedback on how we can improve this. And now you can actually have people taking ownership in the solution itself because people may have some ideas once you present that data. So I would not personalize the feedback of saying that you guys are effing up or you guys don't care or you're not doing a good job because all that's going to happen is they're going to hear it, but they're not going to really listen. Then they're going to come out and they're going to go on a walk. They're going to have a meeting after that and saying how unreasonable you are. Then they're going to come home and tell their spouse what a piece of shit you are. And then they're going to come back and they're not going to be any more engaged in the solution itself. But if instead you can say, hey, again, this always comes back to the clarity piece, but we're not moving in the right direction. Here's an area for growth. I'd love your support with this. If you have a plan, you lay out a strategy. If you don't have a plan, you ask for that feedback. But you can also tie it back to what the vision of the firm is, what's in it for them to be able to get on track and get things right. And then you also have to have an action plan after this meeting to reinforce that that behavior change is taking place. So you can't just say, hey, guys, we're doing a bad job. Do better and then leave the room. You have to ultimately say, here's an area where we need to improve. Here's what the data shows. 
this is what we're going to do that's going to be different that helps us move in the right direction. And we're going to meet again, let's say a week from now with new data. And we're going to see if we're moving in the right direction. We can continue to reinforce this. And the reason why that's important is because if we get this right, this moves us in the right direction and allows us to offer better benefits at the firm. It allows us to be able to offer pay increases, being able to offer new career paths, et cetera. And then also being open to feedback yourself of saying, where can I do better? Because I, I like to go into these situations because it's the reality of it. I think everything is always rises and falls on leadership of what am I failing to do? Am I failing to support you? Do you guys not have the resources that you need? Do you not have the clarity that you need? Sometimes people just, they're not doing what they're doing well because they just don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to do it well. And maybe there's not a process around it. Maybe it's just variable. So it's being open to asking for what can I do better as a leader and coming in with that humility and either they'll tell you. And then there's always going to be people that you'll say you deliver this feedback to, you say you do everything right and the behavior still doesn't change. Well, that's an awesome opportunity to be able to have a conversation individually with those people to determine if they are actually truly committed to being an engaged member of the firm and supporting the growth goals of the firm. And maybe they're not. And maybe it can be a relief to just allow them to seek employment elsewhere. So I think that's really what it comes down to, but it's taking ownership of it first and foremost. And when you're delivering that feedback, I wouldn't personalize it. If you're going to personalize it, which I don't think you should do overall, like I don't think you should criticize an individual, but if you're going to do that, do those meetings one-on-one and always being able to loop it back into why it is important to improve these types of outcomes, results, behaviors, how that ties back into the vision and purpose of the firm, what's in it for them as team members of the firm, what do they stand to gain from getting it right, and then also keeping an objective around data. Sounds awesome. Yes. Thank you, Michael. That's it for AMMA today. My pleasure. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney podcast with Michael Mogul. If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that we can help you grow your law firm. Number one, download the first chapter of Michael's book absolutely free at gamechangingattorney.com. Number two, you can shoot Michael a text at 404-531-7691 and ask him any question you'd like. You might just hear the answer on the next episode. And finally, number three, if you can leave this podcast a five-star review, it will help us gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on this episode, see the show notes in your podcast app or visit legalpodcast.com. 